1: Welcome, everyone. Welcome and happy new year. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host for Born to be Breastfed on the Voice America Network. Thank you so much for joining me. I don't know where you are, but I'm going to clue you in. I am at my mother's house south of Rochester, New York, where it's going to be about zero degrees either tonight or tomorrow. And yet I feel pretty warm and cozy because. I'm home okay I'm home and I am very very glad to be able to spend this time with you I'm just having a really great week I hope you are too we're going to have a really great show today and that's because I'm going to get to talk about something that I really enjoy talking about I'm sure you've lived long enough to know that I am not the only person out there who teaches breastfeeding at the national or international level Uh, I'm certainly not but I'm one of the few and actually probably the only one that I can think of off the bat who has enough labor and delivery experience so that I really feel like I can talk to you about some labor and delivery issues in a way where I can really kind of make it like real for you and that's because I have helped I I cannot imagine how many women I've helped to labor and how many things I've seen where sometimes breastfeeding kind of goes down the tubes after the labor experience. And, in fact, I'll share with you just one little small thing, which is I never grew up saying, ooh, I want to be a breastfeeding guru. Not at all. Not even close. I actually wanted to be a hotshot labor and delivery nurse. I don't think I ever really achieved that. <laughs> But uh, I think I've certainly been able to make some impact on breastfeeding babies. But interestingly enough, it came out of my labor and delivery experience where I found that, in fact, sometimes women would say, um, is it okay if if I breastfeed him now? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, oh, gee, were you waiting for me to tell you it was okay? But, yeah, it is. It's okay. Go to it and uh, I remember that I had a really like epiphany one night where there was this woman who it was really really hot and the air conditioning apparently wasn't working and she had everything off absolutely there was, she did not have a stitch left on her she was hot I was hot everybody was hot in there but lo and behold when she got the baby The baby was rooting all around, and rooting all around, and rooting all around. And I thought, I don't know anything about this breastfeeding stuff, but it just seems to me like there's the nipple, there's the baby. How about what would happen if we hooked them up together? And it was really a great learning experience for me that this baby just sort of did what babies do naturally, and so did she, and I just kind of like stood and watched. This is the way it's supposed to be, folks. And so tonight, what I'm going to talk with you about is some things that are actually sort of not the way it's supposed to be. So listen up while I talk to you about what are sort of my 10 big bugaboos of labor and delivery, sort of that, either the during labor part or the immediately after delivery part. Let me start with IV fluids And specifically, IV bolusing, what we nurses would call bolusing. Bolusing involves giving a big sort of hunk of fluid, almost always associated with uh, epidural anesthesia. Now, just cut me a break. I'm going to talk about epidural anesthesia in a minute. But where I want to go with this is that when women are getting their epidurals, they also get their bolus of fluid and the fluid keeps coming obviously so what we have found out is that babies are more likely to have this extra fluid sort of on board if you will apparently when the babies are born so let me go back and redefine a little bit of this so it makes some sense to you What I'm really talking about here is excessive weight loss in the baby, which is defined as more than 10% of his weight from birth. Now, the question is, are we seeing more and more babies who experience this excessive weight loss in the first few days? And the answer is a resounding yes, we are seeing that. In Peru, it has occurred in 10% of the newborns. In France, it has occurred this excessive weight loss in as much as 14% of their newborns. But in California, you know, just in case you're saying Marie, I don't really care, I'm not in Peru or France. Well, if you're here in the good old United States, and if you are in California, let me tell you. 16% of first-born term infants had this excessive weight loss in Dewey's study. Uh, Kay Dewey is out in California. I believe that she's at UC Davis. She is one of the finest researchers on the planet. Uh, I have been following her work for decades. Okay, If she finds this, it's because it's true she goes on a little bit with this and she says that actually firstborn term infants have lost as much as 18%. And excuse me, that's actually a different study. That was a study that was, um, done by Carolyn Chantry and, um, uh, Namsun Rivers, uh, Lori Nomson Rivers is also partner of K Dewey. So I suspect that that was uh, both of those studies were probably interrelated in some way. I just want to tell you this is happening, and it is happening here. The, that's sort of the answer of what's happening. The question is then: Is the birth weight the baseline? If birth weight is not the baseline for medical management, then what factor or factors, quote, falsify that birth weight? And is bolusing from the epidural anesthesia one of the factors, or analgesia, either one? There's way too much to go into here, but the the short answer is probably, probably. Excessive weight loss in the newborn appears to be related to the amount of fluid intake that the mother has during labor. So then, does this extra maternal fluid affect the neonatal weight? Um, Apparently, yes. The uh, more than 10% weight loss at three days of age can be predicted if two conditions are present. The first is the amount of fluid that the mother gets per hour. And as I understood it, which was not very well, when I read the study and I read it carefully, it seemed to me that they were talking about an average of 200 milliliters an hour. Now, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they got the 200 mils in the hour, I couldn't really determine that. So let me be real clear that I'm not stating that as a fact. My guess would be that it was probably they figured that in along with the bolus and that's what it averaged out to. And it's also possible I didn't understand it correctly. In any event, they, they were saying that if you have this excessive uh, fluid in the mother, the risk ratio for excessive weight loss in the newborn is more than crippled. More than crippled. And I'm not just making this up, all right? This came out of the study by, um, I believe that was, I know it was, it was Carolyn Sanfrey's study. Okay. The second factor was delayed onset of lactogenesis. That is, lactogenesis is the, what most of us would just call the coming in of milk. I'm always hesitant to use that term because that always sort of implies that the milk wasn't there in the first place. Actually, the colostrum has been there for several weeks, but you know what I mean. When the milk really becomes abundant. Uh, So greater than 72 hours after birth seems to be associated with this. Um. I think that we really need to look at this excessive weight loss in the first few days, which may be attributable to the drug that the mother has had. Okay, It may be because of depressed neural behavior and hence less suckling, or it may be due to the extra fluid, quote, on board, or both. But the excessive weight loss has been documented. And again, I am telling you, these are just excellent, excellent researchers. And intravenous opiates for labor pain... May interfere with the newborn reflexes to seek the breast and to root and suckle within that first hour after birth. Now, that's not necessarily the fluid issue, okay, although it could be related. And that I just gave you that information was based on Nissen's study and also uh, the person whose name I never can pronounce, but I believe it's Ranyo, uh, and they are colleagues with Nissen. These people run superb high-level studies. I try to never miss one of their studies. So anyway, this is like this piece of information that you just may not know about, but this extra fluid uh, that is on board with the mother can contribute to what seems like an excessive weight loss Afterwards, now, whatever you do, please don't say, Marie said. Nobody really cares what Marie said. I am telling you, this is what the studies have said. Very, very interesting. So, one of the things that you have to ask yourself is, where does all of this fit in with, okay, then... Am I? Is Marie saying that an epidural is a bad thing because if you have an epidural, you have to have the extra fluid? I'm not necessarily saying that. Let me be real eager to tell you, I have seen some women labor in a way that I walk out of the room and I think to myself, not for five minutes could I endure that, and she's endured that for five hours or six hours or however long. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that a medicated birth is the end of the world or a bad decision, okay? But I am saying... Just watch it. Just think about the fact that there are some of these things going on that you might not be aware of. Okay, so before we take a break, I just want to tell you I want to make sure that you know that you can email me your questions. Questions are radio at breast, No, no, radio at borntobebreastfed.com. I'll repeat that since I stumbled over it it's radio at com. I will be happy to take your questions I might even get to them when I'm on the air if we don't have too much going I was afraid I didn't have quite enough content for today and I can see I seem to have had uh, <laughs> a lot because now i got to really hustle through the next nine that I have for you but this is one that I think that a lot of people just don't know about and so that's all I have for now please stay tuned And when we come back, I'll be talking to you about epidural anesthesia and analgesia. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this break.
2: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining us. I just was talking about the effects of fluid, uh, IV fluid during labor as it relates to possible, underlying possible, newborn uh, weight loss that may be sort of falsified in the sense of it may be that we're assuming that the baby's birth weight is a baseline and, in fact, Maybe it isn't exactly. So then, of course, what I did was say to you, usually this goes with epidural anesthesia. And so I'm going to talk just a teeny bit about epidural anesthesia. And you know I can just talk for like eons about this. But I'll try to just pull a few things together. Um, How about just some general newborn behavior? Uh, Actually, it seems that whether the baby has been exposed to epidural anesthesia or analgesia does not affect his APGAR scores. It also does not appear to affect uh, crying and whether or not it's a strong or a weak cry. Um, Is there a delayed initiation of breastfeeding after epidural anesthesia? Um, Don't know, really. Uh there was a retrospective study that said that there might have been, and then there was a randomized control study, which of course is the Cadillac of studies, and they basically concluded that there was no effect on the timing of breastfeeding initiation. So I don't know. In clinical practice, I would say I agree with both of those studies, which means I, I don't think it's that should not be a real deal breaker for you. I should also point out that actually a newer study by Gizzo and colleagues said that there was no difference in time of initiation. I kind of forgot about that one. Uh, What about early cessation of breastfeeding? Now when I say cessation I mean mothers who gave up breastfeeding before they'd intended to. I consider that to be different than weaning. Um I found at least four studies that showed that there is a relationship between early cessation of breastfeeding, that is, a shorter duration of breastfeeding with women who had had the epidurals as opposed to those who did not. Studies that did not show shorter durations were more likely to have one of two things going for the couplet. And that would be either better opportunities for skin-to-skin contact or suckling immediately after delivery, which makes sense, right? Or plenty of support and follow-up. So what I would say is if you do choose to have an epidural... Remember that there's two things that you do have in your control here, which is get that skin-to-skin, skin-to-skin, skin-to-skin contact immediately afterwards, even if the baby doesn't suckle, okay? It's so important to get that skin-to-skin contact. And secondly, plenty of support for your breastfeeding decision. What about the effectiveness, if you will, of the early breastfeeding experience, oh brother there's all sorts of stuff on this and I hardly know where to start but um, actually it appears that there uh, there's a lot of conflicting studies and and I don't really know how to explain it to you. Uh, Certainly in one what we saw was that significantly fewer babies suckled within the first four hours of life if their mothers had had the epidural analgesia administered uh, during labor. But then a 2011 study uh, showed that there was very little difference in suckling effectiveness between the epidural and the non-epidural groups. Uh, I really hate to break it to you, but we're never going to get the answer on this as definitive. We're never going to be able to say it's cause and effect because there's so many of these factors that are like everything kind of gets mixed up. It's really hard to just separate out one thing. What about formula supplementation? And, and and by the way, back to the effectiveness of the early breastfeeding experience, I would just tell you in my personal experience of taking care of women, sometimes when there is no other reason that I can think of for why their babies aren't suckling well, sometimes the only thing I can think of is they did have that epidural anesthesia or analgesia. So I don't know. I really don't. It's, I want you to make an informed decision. I guess that's kind of where I'm going with this. What about formula supplementation? Now, here's one of these dirty little secrets that most people don't talk about. If you look at the study by Baumgartner, you will see that the uh, babies were more likely to receive formula supplementation on the underlying first day, even though there was a direct attempt to get the baby to the mother immediately after delivery. And if you look at Whitland's study, you'll find that babies were more likely to receive supplementation at some point during the hospital stay. And fewer of those babies were fully breastfed at discharge. However, (laughs) let me just say that... this also gets complicated. What is it that the mothers would have chosen to do or not do? And uh, there's There's a lot of factors that feed into this. So I'm not necessarily trying to paint you an ugly picture, but I am trying to say, if your goal is exclusive breastfeeding, remember that you could get caught in this web. There's also some stuff on adverse effects of hormonal control during lactation. I'm not really sure if I believe that stuff or not. But those are some things that you should be thinking about. So basically what I've tried to tell you is epidurals are not all bad. There are some women who need to have epidural pain relief. I would, however, be very, 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 very eager to suggest to you, is there another way? And one of the first things that I would say is try to look at, first of all, just what I call simple strategies during labor. Back rubs, warm packs, warm showers. For some people, water births. I am big on non-horizontal postures during labor. And any of you who have read my early articles, and boy, I'm talking, I'm talking more years ago than I want to admit, okay? Uh, that was my first foray into the publishing world. I uh, was talking about posture and labor. So, If you really feel that you want to avoid an epidural, look at some of these simple strategies. If those don't work, take it to the next level. What about psychoprophylaxis, uh, which is people usually say Lamaze. It certainly can be other methods, Bradley or whatever. And what about hypnosis? You know I'm a big fan of hypnosis in labor. I've seen it work. It's great. Uh, And what about hiring a doula? You know where I'm going with that. Uh, if you listen to my show here a couple of weeks ago, was it maybe more towards Thanksgiving? I can't remember. Uh, Teresa Bailey, who is a, a doula, came and talked to us about the efficacy of a doula and the role of the doula. I can't say enough about how great it is to have a doula. So it's not just, oh, I've got to have an epidural or nothing. It is, I've got to find a way to be able to cope with my labor, and there are a bunch of different things that I can do. Now, let me talk just a little about oxytocin, that is, pitocin inductions. Let me give you a sad statistic. Induction of labor is the most common medical intervention associated with childbirth. This is a fact. And newborns whose mothers have had induction of labor are more likely to be bottle fed after the procedure. And those that are initially breastfed are more likely to discontinue by three months. This is a really new study by Garcia Fortea. I hope I'm pronouncing uh, that name correctly. It's a study that uh, came out recently. And I think that that's interesting. In my experience, Pitocin inductions are brutal. And usually I like to say intervention begets intervention so I think that may be why we're seeing some of these things. Now, understand that just because I say women who have this might also have that, I'm not necessarily implying that there's a cause and effect relationship. I'm saying there is a relationship, there is a correlation, there is an association, there is a linkage. Whether or not it's cause and effect gets a little bit hairier. However, uh, there's more to this bit about the oxytocin or pitocin inductions. In addition to shortened duration of breastfeeding, there is some association between induction and postpartum depression. And that was just seen in a fairly recent study by Jonas and colleagues. So, as you might expect, women who are induced are more likely to experience epidural anesthesia. And why is that? That's because I'm there pitting her and she's screaming that she's got to have her epidural and guess what? She really does because she's miserable. So I I want to tell you, a Pitocin induction is doggone hard. It really, really is. So I, I don't want to say that it's bad, I want to say I've seen situations where it's absolutely necessary but there are some possible effects that may go along with it. Uh, Again, I don't want you to assume cause and effect here. Alrighty, I think that that's as much as I have to say about epidural anesthesia and pitocin inductions. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about I'm going to talk just very, very little about cesarean delivery. And then I'm going to go on to what I would call noxious stimuli and the opposite of noxious stimuli, which is the effects of emotional and social support, which I've already alluded to. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break.
2: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness breastfeeding outlook owned and operated by marie biancuso is america's premier provider of breastfeeding education if you're a nurse lactation consultant dietitian, midwife physician doula or other professional breastfeeding outlook is your source for serps nursing contact hours and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try and she can help you too. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
1: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective.
0: Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics,
1: spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access,
2: all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Hi, this is Marie Biancunza with Born to be Breastfed. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention there for a minute. Uh, You know, honestly, I was kind of daydreaming a little bit about going to San Diego, one of my favorite warm spots. I will be in San Diego in February... For those of you who are professionals and you're thinking about either getting your IBCLC credential or uh, recertifying one or the other, I'll be giving my basic course in sunny, bummy, lovely San Diego in February. I will also be giving my review course out there. And by the way, just FYI, I've built in like an extra day or two so that I can go out there and uh, I'm actually going to meet Jeff Gerstel out there who is from the Voice America Network and I'm really looking forward to that lunch. And I'm also looking forward to that balmy weather. Hope you are too. Hope you can join me. Now, before the break, I was just talking about some of these interventions, and I ended up with talking about Pitocin inductions, and then I said I would talk just briefly about cesareans. And the reason I'm going to talk briefly about cesareans is that I already did a whole show on cesareans. So as you know, because you heard me rant and rave about this before, the cesarean section rate here in the United States is between 32 and 33%. I know that certainly when I was in the major medical center, we talked some days about having Vaginal bypass day. And what we mean is that we did a whole bunch of cesareans that day. Caesarean is not normal, okay? It is not the normal way that babies are born. (coughs) Infants who are born vaginally have compression of their chests before the birthing process, and that reduces the need for suctioning. Give me a minute and I'll talk about suctioning later. Uh, Babies that are born by cesarean don't uh, have that and they're also not exposed to the friendly bacteria that's near the mother's anus. So obviously this process of cesarean delivery results in, first of all, post-op pain for the mother and they require the mother's body to make those healing adaptations that would not be necessary with a vaginal birth. It does appear that women who have had a cesarean birth may initially have a little bit less volume, but honestly, they'll get just as much milk by the end of the week. So they may be just a day or two behind with getting the same amount that a mother, another mother might have. So don't sweat this a whole lot. But just remember, if you're trying to avoid having a cesarean, hire a doula. There's a ton of literature around the, uh, the cesarean. And I would suggest to you that my show on cesareans and breastfeeding is in the archives. You might want to take a look at that. Okay, I want to move then to something that most people don't think about. And that is number five, a non-quiet, non-secluded place to give birth. That's what we humans do. But actually, other mammals find a quiet, secluded place to give birth. In the United States, the vast majority of births occur in hospitals. And women, as well as the staff, okay, are in situations that are anything except quiet or secluded. You know, as early as 1997 that I can recall, the American Academy of Pediatrics identified excessive noise as a hazard for newborns. And yet, there is the noise, the bright lights, and other noxious stimuli. So, what I want to look at here just a little bit is the effects to the newborn. The fact of the matter is actually that, you know, the mother might find all of these routine practices difficult to, to deal with, too. The mother is tethered often to an electronic fetal monitoring for the duration of labor. Now, understand i'm not saying that fetal monitoring is bad i have taught staff two-day uh courses in fetal monitoring day one day two i'm not saying it's bad but i'm saying it can be overused and it almost always will put the woman in a horizontal position for a lot of her labor you know where i'm going with that one There's also the problem that women are very often given nothing to eat or drink during labor. I wrote a scathing article on that many years ago where I basically said there's a reason why they call it labor. It's because it's the hardest work a woman will ever do. And going without food and water at that time is not physiologic. I know why it's done in hospitals. It's done with the thought of, oh, we've got to keep her with nothing to eat in case we need to take her to the operating room for the cesarean. I got that, okay? I understand that. And there's some rationale for it. But in terms of it being physiologic for the rest of the childbearing thing, it eh, not so much so. So, understand that Humans are not at all like other mammals who will slink off to a quiet place, a quiet secluded place, and have a much more uh, contemplative birth, if there's such a word. Some of the best births that I've seen are when the lights are down and the woman is quiet and the labor support person is quiet and I'm quiet. And, you know, it's, just, it's really good to see those. And it, by the way, it can be accomplished in a hospital. But there are more and more women who are opting for home births. And that, that's a show for somebody else, okay? Um, so that's my, my thing on quiet, non-secluded places. They're not physiological. Okay, number six, lack of an effective emotional and social support is not a good thing during the labor and delivery process. Now, you know, for centuries, laboring women have been supported by other women. And oddly, we do have a number of, quote, older studies showing the efficacy of emotional support. But these studies seem to never really be on the radar of mainstream obstetrical health care teams. These are well-done studies, and they are very unlikely to be repeated. Let me point out to you, for example, Hoffmeyer's study. Now, Hoffmeyer's study was a randomized controlled trial, kind of the, the Cadillac, if you will, of studies. And they showed that companionship in labor resulted in significantly less use of analgesia, that is pain relievers, and women were more likely to be breastfeeding at six months. Hello, this study was done in 1991. Have you ever heard of it? Probably not. Also in 1991, Kennel and colleagues, and I imagine that was probably Kennel and his, his uh, colleague, um, Klaus, because they often work together, they looked at 412 women, and they showed that continuous doula support reduced the risk of cesareans. Those that had the doula, were uh, 8% of them had a cesarean, as opposed to those who did not have the doula, and for them, it was 18%. It also reduced the uh, likelihood of forceps and and epidural anesthesia for vaginal births. 7% versus 55% take a look at this study, as well as reduced the use of oxytocin, that is, pitocin inductions or augmentations, duration of labor, prolonged infant hospitalization, and maternal fever. Hello? Hello? We all need to be aware of this. And a number of other studies have shown positive effects of having a doula. Again, you want to go back and you want to listen to that uh, show that I did with Teresa just a bit ago. The most recent study has shown that almost all Medicaid recipients uh, breastfed when they had doula support. Now, this was a study that was quite recent. And in that study, over 97% of the women who had doula support actually breastfed compared to the 80% of those who did not. So again, doula support, doula support, and more doula support. I'm on number seven here. Routine newborn prophylaxis. And by prophylaxis, I mean preventive stuff. Let me preface my remarks by saying that any separation of the mother and the baby should be avoided unless there is a medically threatening condition that dictates otherwise, and those things do happen, okay? But routine measures such as administration of vitamin K or the eye ointment are among the measures that are routinely performed after delivery, and at the very least, at the very least, these measures can usually be delayed, Okay, But anything that separates the mother and the baby at this sensitive time is not a good thing, and it certainly can interfere with breastfeeding. Now, I could give you a ton of stuff on vitamin K uh, and and the options with that because there's a whole lot of stuff that that people don't know about that. I'm going to move along for just a minute, and if we get time at the end of the show, I'll go back and talk a little bit more about that. But there are options, and you should be aware of them. I would like to refer you to an article at Medscape that I found extremely useful, and I will try to post that maybe on my website or Facebook or somewhere. might even be able to tweet that out. Uh, The last thing I'd like to talk about before we go to the break is the stimulation or suctioning of newborn secretions. Now, again, this is more likely to happen if your baby was born by cesarean because generally some of those secretions kind of are, are improved, if you will, because of the chest compression when the baby comes through the vaginal canal. So pharyngeal stimulation can result in a lowered heart rate and possible cardiac arrhythmias, laryngospasms, and disruption of what we call pre-feeding behaviors. Now, again, that's not me talking, all right? That really came out of a real study, which I believe was by Lees and others in in the 80s, okay? But some people still don't know that. Now, Suction bulbs are uh, preferred to suctioning catheters, but even so, you really want to avoid that because they are noxious stimuli. And generally, tracheal suctioning should be performed only in very selected situations. So I would be the first to tell you, I've been there. I've seen these kids that really do, do need to have their mucus sucked out. There's no doubt about it. And I do agree that in some cases, it is necessary, but it should not be always for every kid routinely whether they need it or not when we come back we'll be finishing up i'll be talking about delays in first feeding tight swaddling and then we'll finish up for the evening i'm marie biancuso with born to be breastfed we'll be right back right after this short break
2: your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Rene and with Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much. I got to tell you, I can't believe I'm like standing here really talking to you guys because I am so jazzed. I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it forever. Uh, and so thank you for being there and listening. Uh, for those of you who always feel like if if Marie said we were going to talk about 10 things, if you lost track of them, I'm just going to help you to regroup here a little bit. Number one, I talked about the effects of IV fluids in labor on excessive weight loss in infants and by By the way, I didn't really bring that home. What I meant to tell you was then when the baby has excessive weight loss, what happens? Then somebody starts talking about formula supplementation for the baby. So that's, I didn't really, I was kind of waiting for you to connect the dots, I guess, but um, that's really what my point was there. And secondly, medicated labors and deliveries. Number three, oxytocin, that is pitocin inductions. Number four, cesarean sections, and I kind of abbreviated that because I did a whole show on that. Number five, non-quiet, non-secluded places to give birth. Number six, the lack of effective emotional and social support. Uh, Number seven, routine newborn prophylaxis. And number eight... Stimulation or suctioning of newborn secretions. All of these, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all of those are things that are like not real great for your breastfeeding experience. And by the way, I forgot to just mention when I talked about a non secluded place. One of my pet bugaboos drives me nuts is that very frequently the parents are focused on the visitors, the visitors, the visitors, the visitors. And sometimes I really have to be kind of the baby's advocate and I have to say, no, 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 no. This is the baby's special time with the mom. That skin-to-skin contact immediately after delivery is so important and postpartum it's important as well. And the other thing that you will see is that sometimes the mother is really tired from the visitors the next day. She really just needs to take herself a little nap. Okay, so that's kind of a problem too. I really, I'm not big on visitors. I think that this is a family affair. The other thing that I did not mention about separation but it drives me kind of crazy because the parents always say "Well, how much does the baby weigh? How much does the baby weigh? And then I feel really compelled to weigh the baby because the parents are asking me how much the baby weighs. Look, do yourself a favor. Don't ask the nurse how much the baby weighs because he's going to weigh the same thing 20 minutes or 30 minutes later, what's really important is that you get that baby skin to skin, which leads me right into my number nine, which is a delay in first feeding. Delay in first feeding does occur, and there's usually one of three reasons number one reason is there is no policy or there's no even like a social norm at the hospital to encourage the first feeding immediately after birth and by the way i know you've probably heard me say it before but my definition of a first feeding is that the baby gets up there and licks and nuzzles and tastes and he doesn't necessarily need to make his jaws go up and down okay he doesn't necessarily need to take in any milk or any colostrum he needs to have that experience it's like he's putting in his order for the restaurant to deliver him food later and that's okay so number one there's no policy and maybe not even a social norm that the babies get to breast immediately after delivery number two there is a policy a norm or an expectation but the staff ignores this with a whole bunch of excuses for why it can't happen Here's the one that drives me the craziest. Oh, I have to massage the patient's fundus. No, actually, you don't. If the baby is suckling, I will tell you that the fundus, the top part of the uterus, is going to clamp down more because of the baby suckling than it is because of you standing there massaging the uterus. Along with this, sometimes what I hear is, oh, um, I've got to take her vital signs. Okay, well, take her vital signs. <laughs> Here's another one. Oh, I've got to take the baby's temperature. Okay, well, take his arm and put the thing under there, and there you go. You don't need to take the baby away from the mother. So as a parent, you need to be an advocate for your baby for those kinds of things. And if you are a professional out there and you're listening to my voice, Heed my words. These are things that we, uh, I, I like. I'm embarrassed at the hundreds of times I'm sure I've done that. Okay, I have said those words. I have done those assessments. I have taken those babies away. I have, and I'm, I'm embarrassed. It's because I didn't know any better. But after I knew better, it was different. And for those of you that the nurse did take your baby away, please cut her a break. She probably didn't know any better. Okay. Uh, the tenth one that I want to talk to you about is tight swaddling or bundling. This is like the dumbest thing immediately after delivery. I have seen these babies that, uh, in fact, just about a week or two ago, I uh, all right, a little bit more than that, I saw a baby who was bundled and swaddled so tightly that I couldn't unwrap the baby with one hand. And usually I'm pretty good at the one-handed stuff. Okay, this is not the way babies are supposed to be breastfeeding you wonder why they don't suckle it's because they're wrapped up too tight get them skin to skin then take the blanket and wrap up the mother and the baby Sorry, mothers, I just got to, like, not talking to you. Now I can feel myself talking to my colleagues. But anyway, ask the nurse to do that. Again, be an advocate for your baby. Be an advocate for yourself. Tight swaddling is the opposite of skin-to-skin contact, and I will tell you that it does not, repeat, does not facilitate breastfeeding. It just doesn't. Okay, then. I think that I went down my whole list of, 10 things, and then I'm going to just give you like the last five or so, just in case I talked too fast the first time. The last five were a non-quiet, non-secluded place to give birth, lack of effective emotional and social support. Number seven was routine newborn prophylaxis. Number eight is stimulation or suctioning uh, with newborn secretions. Number nine, delays in the first feeding, and finally number ten, tight swaddling or bundling. All of these ten things that I gave you today are things that do not enhance the breastfeeding experience. Honestly, these hours like go so stinking fast. It's just amazing to me. But I want to thank all of you for being here. It's all the time that we have today. I really, really enjoy uh, doing Born to Be Breastfed. I would like to remind all of you who are professionals out there, if you really can't join me in Orlando or San Diego or Atlanta or any of the other places that I'm going to soon be this spring – Understand, we have got review packages, we've got Learn at the First Time packages, we've got stuff that is online. If you want to do an all online program, we've got that. Uh, If you want to see me in person, I'll be happy to shake your hand. Make sure you introduce yourself to me. And I think that uh, beyond that, I would just say that if you are interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember. I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. And again, visit my website. It's borntobebreastfed.com. Or for those of you who are on the professional track, you can do breastfeedingoutlook.com. You're going to get to me either way. It doesn't matter. I'm Marie Biancuso, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel, and coming up in a future show, I'm going to talk about the hospital practices in the postpartum period the way I did today in the labor period. In the meanwhile, remember your baby was born to be breastfed hope you have a great week thanks so much for coming
0: thank you for tuning in this week to born to be breastfed please join marie Biancuzo next monday at 3 p.m pacific time 6 p.m eastern time on the voice america health and wellness channel this week do its best for you and your baby